Welcome to another podcast of the Word of God. Now, we are now in the second half of the church calendar year, as I explained to you in last week's podcast. And we are looking at the second Sunday after Pentecost. So I'm going to refer to the readings in two ways. The second Sunday after Pentecost, next week it'll be the third, the fourth, the fifth, and it will go all the way to the last Sunday after Pentecost, which interestingly enough is called Christ the King Sunday. Christ the King Sunday. And the second number I'm going to give you, or the second piece of information I'm going to give you in terms of marking where we are in the calendar is the proper number. And this is going to be proper five. Now we're going to go from five to 29. 29 is the last number. Okay? So we are in proper five. You obviously see that we have many, many weeks to go over about a six-month period. All right, we are in proper five, and proper five is the second Sunday after Pentecost, which we celebrated two weeks ago. The day of Pentecost, which was 50 days after the resurrection of Christ. The Ascension Day is 40 days after the resurrection. So 10 days later, the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. The week after that is the first Sunday after Pentecost, which is Trinity Sunday. As I just said a minute ago, the last Sunday after Pentecost is Christ the King Sunday. So the Holy Trinity, first Sunday after Pentecost. Second Sunday after Pentecost, proper five. Now, last week we talked about Deuteronomy, 2 Corinthians, and Luke, and we will continue to do that. Now, if you look at the Old Testament readings, we have Deuteronomy 29, 30, and 31. And then we have another Apocrypha reading. Now, you've heard me talk about the Apocrypha a few times. And what we do is we skip those because I'm not going to spend any time going over the Apocrypha with you. I do not believe it is technically the Word of God. It is good reading, but it's not the Word of God. And the title of our podcast is The Word of God. So since it's not the Word of God, in my view, uh, we will stick with the 39 books of the Old Testament and the 27 books of the New Testament. Do some denominations believe it is the Word of God? Yes. The Roman Catholic Church believes that it is the Word of God. Okay? And there's a long story behind that. If you're ever interested, uh, you can certainly Google the Apocrypha literature and the demarcation between the Protestant Church and the Roman Catholic Church, Eastern Orthodox Church, and their views regarding the Apocrypha and those readings and how they came to be, in their view, part of the canon, C-A-N-O-N, the canon of the church. Now, I believe the canon is 39 books, as I said, of the Old Testament, which is Genesis to Malachi, and 27 books of the New Testament, which is Matthew to Revelation. All right, here we go. Deuteronomy 29, verse 16 to 29. This is the covenant renewed in Moab. Remember, we spoke about that last week at the end of our discussion of the Old Testament in um, Deuteronomy, we see in verse 16, 
You know how we lived in the land of Egypt and how we came through the midst of the nations through which you pass. And you have seen these detestable things. There are idols of wood and stone and silver and gold, which were among them. Beware lest there be among you a man or woman or a clan or a tribe whose heart is turning away from the Lord your God to serve other gods of these nations. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. So he's cautioning them to be aware and be very much discerning that it, when they move in and they take the land and they integrate themselves in any and every way with the peoples that they are dispossessing, that they do not take their idol worship. They do not serve other gods. They do not adopt their uh, means and customs and manners, that they stay true to the Lord their God. So again, Moses is speaking to the children of Israel before they occupy the land, and he's giving them direction as to how they should behave. Now, why is this so important? Because if they do not behave the way they're supposed to and do not follow the Lord, then the Jewish line will be dissolved. It'll be obliterated. You say, can that happen? Yes. It's happened to many great kingdoms of ancient history. They just go away. We can't have that happen. Why? Because the Messiah needs to come from that line. Remember that promise that God made earlier in Genesis. The Messiah needs to come from this line. Okay. So he's renewing the covenant, verses 16 to 29. So he talks about, again, where he's at with them, what the consequences of following him are. Um, he talks about the nations. And then he says, let's look at a couple of verses before we go to chapter 30. Therefore, the anger of the Lord, verse 27, was kindled against this land, bringing upon it all the curses written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and fury and great wrath and cast them into the other land. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the works of the law. There are some things that God knows that he will not reveal to us. That's actually a pretty famous verse, Deuteronomy 29, 29. And the things that he reveals to us, we need to know what they are and we need to follow them. Chapter 30. Chapter 30. And when all these things come upon you, I love chapter 30. I don't have time to go through the whole thing. The blessings and the curse, which I have said before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations whom the Lord your God has driven you, where the Lord your God has driven you. This is chapter 30, verse 1. And you return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice and all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul. Recognize that language? Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes, have mercy upon you, and gather you again from all the people where the Lord your God has scattered you. Now, we heard that in chapter 4. We heard that in chapter 5, chapter 11, chapter 12. It's throughout all of Deuteronomy. The Lord your God, in verse 6, will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love him with all your heart and with all your soul, and you may live. And the Lord is going to put curses on your foes and enemies who persecute you. And you will obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I command you today. He's going to put curses on your foe. He's going to bless you, Israelites. All you have to do is keep his commandments. 
chapter 31. Joshua is going to succeed Moses. Joshua is going to succeed Moses. And that is going to be extraordinarily important. Who can possibly succeed Moses? Because Moses was told by God that he was not going to enter the promised land. So Joshua is going to lead them into the promised land. Chapter 31, verse 30. Then Moses spoke these words with this song until they were finished in the ears of all the assembly of Israel. So now he speaks one last time. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. Chapter 32, verse 1. And let the earth hear the words of my mouth. The rock, his work is perfect, verse 4. All of his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness without inequity. Just and upright is he. And so he goes through chapter 32 and he talks about who the God is and what he's done and what Moses believes about it. Now remember, much of the Bible is about doctrine. It's about God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. And then what's also recorded is what he does. What is he able to do? This is why when we talk about Jesus in the gospel reading, the gospel section of this podcast, we talk about what he said and what he did. When we are talking about the Old Testament, we're talking about God Almighty, what he said and what he did. So you always want to think of those things in tandem. What is the doctrine? What is the ethic? What does he want me to know? What is the truth about him? And what am I supposed to do knowing the doctrine of the faith? Okay, so I hope you enjoy reading Deuteronomy, the end of Deuteronomy this week. Let's continue our look at 2 Corinthians. Of course, we're going to the right and we are starting in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 18, followed by chapter 11 and 12 and 13. Now, Paul talks about his ministry. Now, he has and deals with many problems with the Corinthian people, many problems that they have. So in this text, chapter 10, it's a beautiful line, verse 5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Okay. Look at what is set before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is in Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. And then he talks about himself, and he talks about his ministry, and he talks about his relationship with Christ, and he talks about them. Okay, again, slower reading, not as easy digestible. This is why the lectionary reading on a daily basis is so good for you, because you're not just looking at one text or one point of view, but you're actually looking at three. The Old Testament, the New Testament, and the Gospel. And again, in the New Testament, it's mostly Paul, because Paul wrote 13 letters. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 talks about Paul and the false prophets. Paul and false prophets not being deceived. If someone comes in verse 4 and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, 
you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I'm not even the least inferior to these super apostles. He's talking about his apostleship. And even if I am unskilled in speaking, I'm not in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made you plain to you in all things. He's defending himself, continues to defend himself against people that are citing him as inferior or he doesn't know what he's talking about. Now, if one can do that, then one minimizes significantly one's um, trust in that person in telling them the truth. And so believing who that person is and trusting that person to deliver you the truth of God's word is crucial in terms of people listening to that person and then making decisions about whether or not they trust them and whether or not they're going to act. Remember ethics? They're going to act based on what they've taught them about doctrine, how they're going to act. Is that going to transform their thinking? It's a very, very key point. Paul suffers as an apostle, as he shares with us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we have uh, Paul's very famous chapter about his visions. Um, very heady stuff here, the visions of Christ, uh, the visions of Paul, uh, and then his thorn in the flesh, and God's extraordinary reply in verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So being weak is not a bad thing. It's not a terrible thing. Having grace and having the grace of God and have the power of God work through that weakness is very powerful, actually. So weakness in and of itself is not something you want. But when the power of God and the grace of God are present in that weakness, that's a wonderful thing. He says in verse 10, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. It's a great principle to be thought of for a lifetime. Very, very important. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, this is the end of his work with the Corinthians. As I said last week, lengthy letters. For the third time I am coming to you, every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. I warn those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while I'm absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. So again, closing more remarks talking about his visits, talking about dealing with them. I love verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. It's a good thing for all of us to do. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize that this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. But we pray to you, to God, that you may not do wrong. Finally, my brothers, verse 11, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live at peace. Again, the solidarity of community. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. And finally, the beautiful benediction. Chapter 13, verse 14, 2 Corinthians. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Obviously, that's quite Trinitarian.
The grace of Jesus, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Beautiful, beautiful text. Might be one that you write down and study, memorize, use. So enjoy 2 Corinthians this week. Luke chapter 18, back to our journey with Jesus. Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 31. Now Jesus foretells his death a third time. He does it three times that is written in scripture. He's telling them what is going to happen to him so they will know. After flogging him, they will kill him. Verse 33, on the third day he will rise. Did they remember this? Probably. Did they believe this? No. Did they understand this? No. When push came to shove, they all fled and they abandoned him and they were scared to death for their lives. But he had told them previously that this would happen. So Jesus has a very strong prophetic understanding of his understanding before God in his place. He heals a blind beggar at the end of chapter 18. A person begging, what do you want me to do for you? He says in 41, Jesus said, recover your, he said, um, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Now, as I've said several times in all of his healing miracles, which are quite numerous, Jesus does not do the same thing each and every time. He does something differently. And so when you take that whole canvas and different pictures of how God heals people, it gives you a very uh, wonderful enlargement of God's mercy and God's grace and God's love for us. We go to chapter 19, the famous encounter with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a person who was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was a small man and wanted to see Jesus. He was absolutely not well thought of at all. Jesus comes to him and stays at his house, and they are shocked that Jesus would do this, and people grumbled, and Zacchaeus had a change of heart and mind as a result of encountering Christ. A wonderful example of Christ transforming someone's life and thinking by their encounter with him. It's what you want to do. You want to encounter Christ. You want to listen to him. You want to hear him. You want to visit with him. In chapter 19, we continue with the parable of the ten minus. Okay? The ten minus. The kingdom of God, he's talking about the kingdom of God. He talks about a nobleman in a far country. He calls his servants, he gives them 10 minus. Engage into business when I come. And so they respond in different ways. It's much like the parable of talents in um, Matthew 25. All right? And he talks about, well, I've well done, good and faithful servant. Remember that in Matthew 25 in the parable of the talents, which is much more famous than the 10 minus. The person that had five, you give them five minus. Five cities, okay? Then there's the guy that doesn't do anything with what he's been given. Again, we're back to the idea of stewardship. Remember I spoke from 2 Corinthians chapter 9 last week. You want to be generous. You want to give God your abundance. You want to sow 
generously, bountifully. Don't be cheap. Don't be stingy. Be grateful. Be loving. And so, again, the parable, a parable that has a tremendous amount of weight to it, I, I encourage your reading of that. As we continue in chapter 19, we have his entry into Jerusalem. This is chapter 19, verse 28, and he goes to Jerusalem. Why is he going to Jerusalem? To die. So Luke takes us, continues his journey with us as we're getting more toward the end. He's going to Jerusalem after about three years of ministry to die, but he's going to be there for several days before he's put to death. And then he weeps over Jerusalem because he's very sad. He's, he has an understanding of what's going to happen. He has a great understanding of what's going to befall him. And so he is sad for them because they're going to reject him and not be able to see what the truth is. He cleanses the temple at the end of 19, another very famous text of how Jesus overturns the people that are selling and the people that are abusing the temple of God. Jesus' anger is aroused here. It is righteous anger. Listen to verse 47 and 48, though. He was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. So he had the people's ears. And finally, at the end of the week, a proper five, the second Sunday after Pentecost, we have chapter 20, 1 through 8, the authority of Jesus has been challenged. By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? It's a good question to ask you. Man, you seem like you know what you're talking about, but we don't know who you are. I mean, we know you're the son of Joseph and Mary, but how did you get this authority? I mean, you didn't go to school. You're not a Pharisee. You're not a Sadducee. You're not a lawyer. You're not a scribe. He said, I'm going to ask you a question. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Now, remember, Jesus is much smarter than all of them. And they discussed it with one another, saying, now, if we say from heaven, he'll say, well, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from man, then all the people will stone us to death, for they're convinced that John was a prophet. So he gave them a question that they could not and would not answer. So they answered that he did not know where he came from. And Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus is very smart. He's very wise. He knows what he's doing. So again, as you work through the end of Deuteronomy and the end of 2 Corinthians and toward the end of Luke, listen to what the Lord is saying to you about all these wonderful readings. Deuteronomy, 2 Corinthians, very different, and Luke's gospel as we continue to travel with Jesus. Next week, we'll be looking at the third Sunday after Pentecost. God bless you and enjoy your readings for the week. <music>